0: Maybe you know that our kids are starting back to school, some of them this week, and then Vision Way next week, and I know the teachers and students are glad I reminded them of that, because they're so excited. But to sort of think about that, I want to give you the top ten reasons that kids don't want to go back to school. Okay, Top ten reasons kids don't want to go back to school. Number ten, mean popular girls. Number nine, personal favorite, is PE number eight mean teachers so apparently there's a lot of meanness in school this, these days number six annoying people oh exams did I miss that exams and then annoying people and when I hear annoying people I want to say well you know what those people are gonna graduate from school eventually and you're still gonna to have to put up with them so you're probably just gonna to have to get used to that one number five is grades number four is it's just so boring number three is getting up in the morning Number two is bullying. Anybody want to guess what number one is? Any guesses? Homework. Exactly right. No one likes homework. You know when our kids or grandkids come to us and they give us all these reasons and maybe your kids are really creative and they've come up with some other ones as well. You know what we say is well I'm sorry you feel that way and I really hate it that you don't want to go to school but tough. You're going anyway, right? I mean we don't really have a lot of Options there. You got to go to school. You got to learn. You got to get used to getting along with people and people in authority and all those things. So we just send them on. But here's the thing sometimes I don't think we apply that kind of thinking to ourselves. Today we continue in this series of lessons that I'm calling, uh, What Are You Waiting For? And we're asking that question. Maybe you know the next step that you should take in your path of faith, the next step to getting closer to Jesus. Last week we talked about baptism and how for many people they've come to the point of faith and the next step really is baptism. And we ask the question, what are you waiting for? Well today I want us to take a next step. The next step in that process, and for a lot of people, the next step is, how am I going to get connected to God and to other people? And for some people, it might be a class or some kind of event in the life of the church where it's more social, and for some, it would be small groups. In fact, I think for a lot of us, the next step would be small groups. And so we ask, what are you waiting for? And some people would say, okay, there's, there's actually several reasons I'm not so thrilled with small groups, maybe not ten, but there's reasons that people hesitate to jump in. One of them is, well, I think everybody else is going to know more than I do. And we have this fear we're going to get in a small group, and everybody in there is going to be like a Bible college graduate, and they're going to know all these things about the Bible, and then we're going to say something that's going to be wrong, and they're going to look at us like we're just... Stupid. I mean, that is the issue. We don't want to look stupid. As a matter of fact, somebody came out of first service and said, I was talking to the person behind me this morning before church and I was inviting them to get involved in a small group and their response was, everybody else will know more than me. I think this is pretty common. The the second one is that everybody else has it together more than me. I mean, we all feel like we're the only family that actually has this fight on the way to church and we're running late and can't get everybody dressed. And we all come in and pretend like it didn't happen, but, but it did. And as much as some people may have it together, I think a lot of us have areas of our lives that we know need some improvement. And as much as we may come in church and pretend everything is perfectly under control lots of people are struggling lots of people are asking questions and trying to figure out how do I get my family the way it should be or my finances or my health or my job and and they don't know what to do with all that so we don't need to have this fear of hey I I may feel like I'm more messed up than everybody else because we think we're gonna get in a small group and are gonna talk about real life and we're gonna share stuff and everybody else is gonna look at the stuff I share and go wow you really got problems But it's not true. And then the last one is, what if I get involved in a small group and I just don't connect with people? In other words, what if they don't like me? That's really uncomfortable. I mean, it might be that I get in a group and I'm blue collar and everybody else is white collar or everybody else has more money than me or they're in a different place in life and I don't fit in. And so I'm just not sure about that because what if I don't fit in? What if they don't like me? Now we might be asking those questions. We might be asking some other questions, but all of them keep us from getting involved in some kind of small group experience in the life of the church. I want us to think about that today and really address this question of what are you waiting for to get involved in a small group. To do that, I want us to turn to the book of Hebrews. Now, Hebrews is sort of an interesting book because... We don't know who wrote it. It's in the New Testament, but we're not sure who wrote this book. It doesn't say Paul wrote it. I don't think it sounds like Paul, though some have said maybe he wrote it. I think it's probably somebody else. Maybe Barnabas. Some people have guessed. He's very uh, active in the book of Acts, and it may be that he was involved. We're just not sure, but what we do know is that the early church... Got this letter, and they saw that it was really applicable to the Christian life, and it was important for the church, and so it became part of our New Testament, part of the bible and I want us to look at chapter chapter ten today if you 've never read through Hebrews, let me encourage you to, this week or today this afternoon to read chapter Ten and chapter eleven because they 're super encouraging, a great place to start if you want to delve in into Hebrews so this is what we see at the end of Hebrews chapter 10. The writer is encouraging these Christians to remain faithful. And this is part of what he says about that. Verse 23, let us hold unswervingly, okay? Unwaveringly, some of the translations say. So don't go to the left or the right. I want you to stay laser focused on one thing as a Christian. And here's what it is. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. So, you need to be laser focused on one thing if you want to be faithful to Jesus. What is it? The hope that we share. Well, what's our hope? Our hope is eternal life in Jesus Christ. Our hope is that there is something beyond this life. Now, for lots of people, You might be thinking, man, my life is really good right now. I'm in a good place with my family, and I love my job. My finances are beginning to improve. My health is good. It's awesome. And some other people might be saying, it doesn't feel that awesome right now. There's some bad stuff that's going on. And we all come to that point in life, and we know eventually where this is all headed, that in the end, we're going to face death. But our hope as Christians is that there is more than this life. That there is something beyond this existence. So, the writer here tells us, if you want to remain faithful, stay laser focused on that hope. And he's talking to the whole church. So he says, church, I want you to be laser focused on this hope because the one who made the promise, Jesus who was raised from the dead himself he's faithful to keep his promises now he gets more individual as he moves into verse 24 he says and let us consider how we may and this is really interesting language spur one another on toward love and good deeds spur one another on those words spur on its one word in Greek and it's used only two times in the whole New Testament and they 're used in sort of very different ways, but it 's emotional kind of language, and let me show you just how emotional it is. The only other time we see that word appear is back in the book of Acts it's in chapter fifteen what 's going on is that Paul and Barnabas, early missionaries, went out on a trip, their first missionary journey, we call it. They took with them somebody who was probably related to Barnabas, a young man named Mark. He eventually wrote the gospel we call Mark. They went on this journey, and just as they sort of got started, Mark decided to go home to Mama. And so Paul and Barnabas go on. Now, when they're getting ready for a second journey, a second time they're going to go out and share the message of Jesus, Barnabas says, I want us to take Mark with us. I think he's ready for it this time. And Paul says, I'm not making the same mistake twice. We are not taking that guy with us on this journey. He's going to end up going back home. And then we read this verse, verse 39. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus and then Luke goes on to tell us that Paul went on and shared the message of Jesus. Now the words sharp disagreement are the same words in Greek as spur one another on in Hebrews 10:24. Emotional language, this sharp disagreement that really caused a rift in this relationship, and then spur one another on. So, so what's the writer of Hebrews saying there? Is he saying you ought to sort of make each other mad so you'll do things that are loving and good for one another? Well, I think it's more than that. The word could be translated insight so that we incite. Love and good deeds, or so that we stimulate in one another love and good deeds. Now, think about that word. It has two different sides to it, doesn't it? We could say that um, I read a good book and it stimulated my thinking. Or another person stimulated my thinking. So that would be more like encouraging and positive reinforcement and and caused us to think in a new way, widened our perspective on something. Or we could use stimulate in another way. My dad's really had some severe back pain lately, so he went to the doctor and he said, I want to give you the shot, an epidural in your back, and hopefully it'll help you with this. But I've got to put it right where... Medicine needs to go at the point of the pain. And Dad said that he did just that because when that needle went in, he immediately knew for about 20 seconds what 10 on the pain scale feels like. And he was pretty sure he left some handprints on the rails of that hospital bed because it hurt so bad because that needle went in right where the pain was because that's where the medicine had to go. So the doctor needed to stimulate that to get to the right place to make it better. Now, we're not here to cause each other pain. That's not the idea. But sometimes this spurring one another on can feel like encouragement and, hey, you can do more and use all that God's given you for love and good deeds. And sometimes spurring one another on might feel more like someone saying, hey, you know what? God's really gifted you with some awesome stuff and I think right now you're wasting it because you're not using what God has given you for love and good deeds you're ignoring these things that God has done in your life that could be used to do so much more you see how it has two sides and I think what that's what the writer of Hebrews is telling us we should spur one another on to love and good deeds and sometimes that feels great sometimes it feels a little bit like a challenge but what we have to do as Christians is say what needs to be said even when it's a little difficult to say sometimes because we owe it to one another because we want to lead each other to love and good deeds then verse 25 continuing that same thought so we need each other to spur each other on not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching so the writer of Hebrews he's thinking about early Christian gatherings which were probably different from this less formal probably smaller crowd I mean we could probably divide this group up in six or seven ways and and have what would be more like a first century house church which is the way most of them gathered And they would come together and it would be much more, you know, group communication rather than one person doing all the talking. So it might look a lot more like what we would call a small group. And the writer says, you need that because that's the place, that's the context where you encourage one another, where you spur one another on, where you incite one another to do something big in the name of Jesus. And he says, some of you have gotten in the habit of not going to those meetings you think you can live this Christian life on your own you don't think you need anybody to do this but you do we need each other now maybe some of those early Christians were thinking you know what that's not a very convenient time when they meet I don't really want to go at that time or maybe they don't sing the songs that I really like, or I don't get fed when I go, or any number of things that people might even say today. But we also know that at this time, there was persecution going on. So it may be that this early Christian teacher and writer is saying to these Christians, Hey, you know what? I know that it could be costly when you gather. Because somebody could be watching that house where you as a church meet, and they could be seeing who's coming and going, and it could cost you your living, or it could cost you your family, or it could even cost you your life. But here's what I'm telling you. Even when there's a high price to pay, you need to go. You need to gather together because you will not be the church unless you come together. So if we boil this down, I think what the writer is telling us is we need each other. We need each other to live this Christian life. We need the encouragement we find in other Christians. We need the challenge that other Christians may give us to do more and to be more love and good deeds, as the writer says. We need to be challenged to live the life that's sometimes not easy to live. Sometimes there is a price to pay but we need to pay it to be together because otherwise we won't be the church now i really believe that one of the best ways that we can do this for one another the encouraging and the spurring one another on the sharing life in the community of faith is through small groups and many of you know or maybe if you're new to our church you don't know that for about eight or nine months we've had a team of people that's been looking for another staff member to join our ministry staff a connections minister someone to do what we call involvement which is leading people from their first encounter with our church into the life of the church and also to direct a small groups program And we've had some people that we thought we might hire but they've been near misses because it just hasn't happened for one reason or another but we also know we can't just continue to wait till we get that person on our staff to begin connecting people to each other and to God. And so beginning the week of September 13th, for seven weeks, we're going to have some small groups begin to form. Now, these are just for those seven weeks. We don't expect them to necessarily meet after that. This is just a short-term way for us to begin to connect with one another. We're going to have this opportunity to come together for prayer and for study and to connect with God and with other people. We're going to study this book It's called I Am a Church Member. It looks like this. These are going to be available in a couple weeks. and Don't let the title fool you, though, because to me, maybe when you first read that, you think, okay, church member, that's all about getting your name on a roll in a church and doing whatever you have to do to get that name on that roll. But what this book is really about is what does it mean to live in Christianity? community? What do I owe a church where I'm serving and learning? What does it mean for me to contribute something to that church? That's what this book is all about. What does it look like to be involved in the life of the church, not just a name somewhere on a roll? So we'll be spending time in that book, a chapter a week. And I think this is going to be a great small group um, opportunity for us because... You know, lots of times we tend to organize small groups about station in life, like all the kids, families with kids are in these three groups, and then you got some empty nesters, and maybe some younger adults, and some older adults, but we're going to cut across that. So that we have people from various places in life. Maybe you're going to meet somebody from first service that you don't even know. But we're going to develop those connections across generations and places in life. So no group is going to be like uniform. Everybody's in the same place. And hopefully we can establish some connections that will help us live this Christian life that we're called to live. Now, I could spend some time right now sort of refuting all those objections that some of us have to getting involved in small groups like, you know, I don't know if I can connect and everybody's smarter than me, all those things. I could spend some time talking about each one of those, but I'm not going to do it. I'm going to sort of take the attitude we do with our kids when it's time to go back to school. I'm going to say, you know what? It's good for you. You need this. Give it a try. And Here's what I'd like you to do. Each one of us has some fear about getting involved in small groups, okay? Maybe some people have several. Maybe some people, they're just pretty minor. But what I'd like for you to do is take all those fears and concerns and questions, take them all, and for seven weeks, set them aside. Say, okay, you know what? I know all the stuff that might possibly could go wrong if I imagine it really carefully. I'm going to take that stuff, I'm going to set it aside, and for seven weeks, I'm going to give this a try. I'm going to jump in. We have group leaders that are ready to go, trained. They know the stuff. They are ready to lead groups, and I would love to see you in one of those groups. And to do that, simple thing, take that orange, peachy colored card out of your um, bulletin, and on the, what we usually call the backside, it says fall small group sign up. Just go ahead and put your information on that card, and a little bit later when the offering comes by, you can just drop that in the offering. You can also sign up online. There's a place you can scan with your phone and the bulletin and fill that out online as well. Either way is fine. Just get us that information, and over the next couple weeks, we've got a team of people who have planned this small group study and are going to be involved in making it happen. They're going to take all those cards, all those people, and they're going to sign us to different groups so that by the time September 13th rolls around and that week as groups meet different nights it'll be an opportunity for you to connect with some people in the church now again it'd be easy to raise all kinds of objections let me encourage you to set that aside we need these connections with each other we need the opportunity to meet people who will help us learn and encourage us and spur us on to love and good deeds. And so let me say to you today, seriously, what are you waiting for? Let's pray together. God, we can always think of something we're afraid of when we take a new step. But today I ask that you'll help us put those aside so that we can get involved in something that may be new or maybe we've done many times, but will give us the opportunity to connect with other Christians so that we can learn from each other, so that we can encourage each other, and so that we can make ourselves to be better people in your name. God, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. want to give you the opportunity to respond. Maybe you know it's time for you to make that decision we talked about last week, to be baptized into Christ, or maybe you want to be a member of our church. If you've made either one of those decisions, let us know. Come forward as we stand and sing our invitation. Let's stand together.